This is episode 35 of the Becoming Human podcast, and I'm your host, Will Nelson. I'm trying to sound like a superhero, but I think I sound like Santa Claus. Fuck. I guess I need to work on that one, too. It's becoming Christmas soon, and I haven't told my my son that Santa isn't real yet, so I still gotta trick him. And I might have to bust out, like, the Santa costume. I don't know. I always get wonder, like, why we have these ideas of, like, uh, letting the magic still exist. You know, the, the notion of, of fairy tales. I've always enjoyed them, you know, for the sake of story. But just because I know that they're not real doesn't doesn't take away the appeal for me. But that's probably just personal. On this episode of the Becoming Human podcast... I sit down with Andrew Lardson of Heavyweights Light Fields. I really enjoy having these conversations with Andrew. He he makes me think about like uh, my life in different contexts. I like finding people that I could relate to on my experiences. Oftentimes, I grew up feeling alone because I didn't talk about shit. And so having someone to be able to you know, rebound our experiences and our interpretations of the world around us. It's not just a lot of fun, but it's freeing and it's freeing too. Anyways, Andrew's an all around nice guy and I had a I'm gonna play you out in the outro with a song by Christoph Crane. And you can catch Andrew's uh, social media and website information in the show notes. You can also catch Christoph Crane's information in the show notes. If you'd like to support the show, head over to the website and you can go buy plastic shit off Amazon. Um, Black Friday, use our link. Have fun with it. And it's better than going to the store with all the fucking zombies, but... I went once, I had to, right when I moved in like the Seattle area, I went to the Alderwood Mall, one of the bigger malls in the area, I had to watch fucking Black Friday unfold, I didn't buy anything either, it was, it was interesting, but I hope you guys enjoy this episode, and if you do, please rate, review, and share across any platform that you listen on, that's the biggest way to help, even if you don't use our Amazon affiliate link. Are fuck my Amazon affiliate link. Who the fuck are we? Tribe? <laughs> Alright. Have a nice holiday. Bye. And if you get paid for it, then you can do that mostly. And or anything. It's pretty much how most of it works. Get really good at something and then you if it's valuable to our society, people will give you money for it. And um so he went to a crafts fair. And he painted all this shit, and he took it to the crafts fair. He didn't sell anything. And that's when I had a conversation with him. I'm like, well, maybe you didn't present it in a good way. We didn't go to the right crafts fair because it was a very small amount of people that went there. And you need to add different kinds of art. And so he's, like, figuring it out. And I'm like, well, this is kind of cool, man. But, yeah, it's shit's fun. It's like the business side of it, like the demographics. Yeah. And your product placement. So it's, uh, you know, maintaining your personal expression while still trying to navigate that. Exactly, and I remember growing up as a kid, I would 
get this this divide where it was like, fuck the man, man, I'm just going to make, you know, my shit. And if people like it, then fuck them. But then the, what, how I think is, is that, well, the most important thing to me, personally, as an adult, is to spend as much time as I can doing the things that I like. Business, for me, is figuring out how to persuade everyone to allow me to do that and to have help me survive. If it's like, I always think of it in the Patreon thing, like, uh, you got Matt, you know, the coach over at Livewire. Yeah. So, like, he's done something to where, um, and it's all unintentional, but he'll, like, he wanted a snake. So, he went to the guy who sells fucking reptiles, and he's like, I'll give you private training lessons for a snake. It's like, okay. And so, I'm like, wait a minute. That's when it kind of clicked a little bit more for me, is if I, like, if I, you, Andrew, if you have a shirt, right? I like your shirt. If you make something likable... I will give you money, but what I'm really doing is money is just a, 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 a yeah, a tool for an abstract notion is saying, Andrew, I like what you're doing. I want you to do that more often. So here, here's a way to put food, and so you don't have to do other things like at Boeing to put food on your plate. It's like a, a bartering. Yeah. Uh, having a skill to barter, and I think that's we're gonna see more and more of that mm -hmm. as the economy shifts. Yeah. People begin to think to themselves. Well, I have all the kind of basic necessities I need, and that's the hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. I've got a place to live. I've got food to eat. You know, I want I want more from life. And I think people now are encouraged to, to seek more experience mm -hmm. and opportunities. Uh, and that starts with seeking out somebody who has a skill or some knowledge, like mm -hmm. that has that, that, that uh, the, what does he do? The MMA and the stuff, MMA? yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, People who have you were talking earlier before we were, we were recording, you have to mm -hmm. practice day to get good at it. Seeking out the people who have done that practice, and now it's what do you have? Because you've obviously done something as well mm -hmm. to get to this point. What do you have that you can offer them instead of maybe the money that you have? Start offering yourself. Yeah, exactly. What do you have as a person to offer, and then that can be extrapolated. I don't know if we're recording. No, yeah, yeah, we are. We're fine. Oh. Yeah, you're good. No, you're fine. <laughs> um, yeah, you extrapolate that into the world, or I guess that's what I've been trying to do lately is, is what do I have as a person to offer? Mm -hmm. and that's what I've been trying to do, too, because when I was uh, younger, I'd bemoan that, oh, fuck, I'm working this job that I really don't like. It's monotonous. It's trivial. Um, but I'm using basic skills that we all inherently possess. And it didn't take much time to invest to achieve these skills. So, like, cooking, for example. Not trying to denigrate, like, high-level chefs. I'm talking just average chef. And, um... Uh, of course, though, that would happen. Of course, I wouldn't get, I'd have to work holidays and do all of these things that um, is incongruent with um, fulfillment in my own life because I'm not, I'm not providing anything that is of value. I am providing something that is, well, it's valuable, but it's needed. And I think there's a difference between the commodity and the needs. Does that make sense? When you're providing a service that is based off a of need. So you're not doing massage, for example, you're working on going to massage school right now, right? Yeah, yeah. So massage is not a need-based thing. So that means, well, it is, like, people want to go get it, and especially for, like, uh, your health, too. It's really good for your physical health, right? Oh, man, it's, I, I could list so much. It's good for your physical, your emotional health. Um, yeah, we can... But no, yeah, you're fine. But you could set your own schedule, because it, it, to a certain degree. I mean, you can't work at 12 o'clock at night. All the, I mean, maybe, can you? Maybe? You no, know, I mean, yeah, no, you really can set your own schedule. And I mm -hmm. think, uh, well, a good example is Paige Spinach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, he works uh, 
overnight. And so he he would like to get massages too. And so that is a good example mm-hmm. where on his day off he is awake at twelve o'clock and, yeah. and he's asleep at noon mm-hmm. uh, because he does have that schedule. So that's an example of a demographic that that does have that need as well. And, and it's based off of like so. It's based off of me. I I'm awake at that time too. Like exactly. It's my schedule too, and that's why I want to have that skill that fits my like my desire for when I want to be awake, when mm-hmm. I want to be asleep. I fucking hate mornings. And I, I do too. I I completely agree with you, man. Uh, like and before like eight or nine a.m., I just don't want to be awake. And you shouldn't have to. And that's where I use that as an example because with if you're a chef. Not doing, like, arts or uh, fine dining, for instance, to where it's not fulfilling, like, a need, which is need to eat every day. Like, uh, McDonald's is more of a need, right? Because everyone goes there to fulfill their breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They don't go there for, like, a special night out on occasion. Um, So that person who works in McDonald's has to be there for, you know, the set amount of shifts. You have no choice. Someone has to be operating McDonald's either 24-7 or breakfast, lunch, and dinner. No choice. Massage, you don't want to work night days. You don't want to work days. You gonna work nights, and if people are you're in demand at nights, then you're gonna be successful. If you're not, you know what I mean. Like that, you get to build these other things you can build around your life. Or if you're taking like um, doing marketing, for instance, um, or even like designing your own products and stuff like that. For the most part, your schedule is flexible based on your needs as a person. And I think, like, moving towards that would be more beneficial for us, you know? Well, and I think more people pursuing the non-traditional 9-to-5 job route will open up the ability to set your own schedule because more people will be living unconventional schedules. Mm-hmm, yeah. So more people will be available just in your, your general time of existence. Mm-hmm. So I live in, I, I keep weird hours. Yeah. Like some days I sleep two hours, some days I sleep like ten. Oh, wow. Um, so I, I'd like more set schedule, but, you know, I'm she's going to massage school. I'm also getting back into, like, writing my dissertation. So it's mm. not great dissertation. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, also hopefully going to be doing other stuff. And so um, I've noticed that there's, like, different levels of existence or different times of existence. Mm-hmm. You know, you have your 9 to 5 people, and then you have your, you know, overnight people, and it's just really fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to see more of a shift to uh, people having more freedom to live when they want and hopefully to move away from the classic just I have to get a job and work nine to five and just mm-hmm. work for the man. Yeah, and that's the thing we can, and I think uh, in a very speculative way, it's more constructive for our society because then people are – are are exploring their potential as opposed to that one dude who's just chilling, getting by. It's not, there's nothing wrong with that as an individual level, but they're they could have done something awesome for themselves or for you know society. And now, more opportunity. I'm reading a book right now uh, called Man's Search for Meaning. Man's Search for Meaning. I heard that was a good book. It, it, Ooh. It's a good book because it'll make you laugh and cry on the same page. Really? Yeah, because the author it, he's so eloquent. Telling the Holocaust mm-hmm. to give you, you listeners perspective. He's talking about the Holocaust, so you shouldn't be able to laugh. But he 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 is so humble in his writing. Uh, he, anyways, he in the book he talks about something called the the existential vacuum. Existential vacuum. And it is pretty much just the going through the motions of this basic boring life with no purpose or meaning. Mm-hmm. And I've. 
I've been having just tons of conversations with my friends, and a lot of us kind of feel like we've been living in that vacuum, which is pursuing the the traditional Western life of get the job, get the white picket fence, but we're not putting anything of real value into the world where you just work with spreadsheets or you just work with pushing paper or where you just work to to just fill a, like you were talking about the McDonald's, when you just go to work just because somebody needs their their uh, breakfast because that other person is just going to their job that they don't necessarily want to go to, mm-hmm. uh, everyone's just kind of robotically going through life. And so this concept of, of putting out a, a meaning or value, I think our society now, we're wanting a shift to, first of all, a establishing or defining what value is, but meaning, and uh, especially in connection with people, I think there's just a huge lack of, of meaning in our connection. And I'd like to um, connect that with the, the aspect of urban isolation, which I have experienced often um, firsthand through interviews and um, personal experience. Because I was down in Seattle um, hanging out with some of the uh, homeless people in uh, Tent City 5, which is a homeless encampment. And that's what I hear often is like the difference between – because that homeless encampment, I guess a little bit of backstory, is is it's – it's endorsed by the community uh, of Seattle, and basically it's like a, a a little plot of land that size of like an apartment in a city, um, and what they have is they have tents established there, and everyone within the community, they vote, the homeless people, explicitly them, they vote on the rules that are in place, they also vote people into different positions of power within their own community, and then they every one of them has to do a security walk around, right? If you're, uh, you can't be high or drunk and be there, uh, except if you're drunk, they'll have you like lay down inside one of the dorms, um, and the community endorses it, right? So I was talking to them about what is it like to be in this community, because these guys are doing well. If you're like doing exceptionally awful, you would either get kicked out or not allowed. So they have to prove that they want to stay there. They stay there for five days in the dorms, and if they've stayed there consistently and not caused any issues, they'll be accepted into the community. Um, so you have the exceptional homeless people you know, of Seattle living in that community. It's kind of a weird little little thing. But um, what happens and what I was talking to them about is, like, what's it like to be out on the streets alone where you don't have anywhere to go? It doesn't have to be an actual roof over your head, but you don't have, like, a group of people to associate with. You feel alone. And they're like, well, that, that aspect of isolation is what steers, steers me, them as an individual, because they couldn't sweeping generalizations. They're just talking on an individual level. Um, to plunge further into, like, substances and stuff. Because there was no, like, being in that state of mind, they they were, it was constantly on, like, fight or flight, and to receive, like, pleasure or comfort, it was impossible through action. So they used these substances to take away all of that pain. And it was urban isolation, because even when they didn't have anyone there to, like, support them, that is when the fucking rug got pulled out on an individual level. This, this makes me think of the, the rat study they did. Ooh. Addiction. Oh. And so what they did is they, they took a group of rats, uh, and they would take one, one of the rats and they would isolate it and offer it regular water or water t- tainted with drugs. And they would observe the rat's behavior. And the rats who were isolated would find the drug water and continue to consume and consume, reinforcing the addictive behavior. 
But if they reinserted that rat into the, I think they're colonies, um, or whatever the group of rats is called, they mm -hmm. reinserted it, and also had the drug water and regular water available, but the socialization of the other rats prevented it from consuming the drug water, and it went back to consuming just the regular water. Oh, that actually reminds me of a research study that, that I faintly recall, and I don't remember like any of the, the specifics, but I'm sure you could find it online if you do cocaine and rats. And this is one where I think in the mid-1900s, they put a rat, and they put him in a cage, and they gave him coke, yeah. and, and he would be say, fuck the food, fuck the water, I'm going to do coke. And then the rat would die. They're like, okay, cocaine's addictive. And then all of a sudden, like years later, they go back to retest it because we do that mm -hmm. just to see the validity of things. And um, they tested it. And what they would do is they reintegrated the rat with, with more rats in a colony. And they gave it, like, a little hamster wheel and shit to climb on. And the difference was, like, if they didn't have any of that, rat would do cocaine until it died. If it did have... All of those things, rat wouldn't even pay attention to the coke, and it would be like fucking normal rat. And it's like, wait, what? Like, it, it, and it really makes me think about how we as a society treat addiction, mm -hmm. where we often do isolate the homeless people, or we isolate the people who we think are mentally unstable. Mm -hmm. And instead, you know, what this is showing us is that maybe the socialization, the love, that might help bring them out of that, or that might help prevent someone from spiraling down into that situation. That brings me on to the, the other thing that I've been toying with for a while is, is that when someone steals something from you, do they, they don't, do they steal it from you to cause you pain, or are they in their own mess of chaos? Ooh, that's a good question. Like, even if it was a friend who fucking hated you, and they're like, fuck that guy, I'm gonna take his money, right? That there's a mixture. There's one part of the interaction with you and how he feels with you. The other part, though, is that he has uh, in his own in his own little layers of issues, independent of everyone else. He has problems of morality. He has problems of communication, being close to people, and you're merely there as a consequence, right? Like my son, if he hits me, he's not hitting me and biting me when he's throwing a tantrum because he wants to kill me and hurt me. He's hitting me and biting me because I happen to be there, and this is how he is responding to being overstimulated. So like a friend who is poor, for example, and has trouble with morality, you are, just happen to be there. So he it has nothing to do with you. I didn't steal from you, Andrew, because I hate you. I didn't steal from you because, you know, I don't love you. I stole from you because I have my issues. And, like, someone who's hitting you or cuts in front of you in the road, you're like, oh, that guy fucking cut in front of me. He didn't cut in front of you. He is literally just in a hurried state, inconsiderate of the entire world around him. So, like, I believe, or I'm getting to the, like, toying with the idea that nothing is ever intentionally about the other. Nothing is about anyone but that person. So, like, um, fuck, what was I going to say? Oh shit! Oh, um, with the the whole thing, like when someone does something that we we see is wrong within our society, is immoral. Usually, we will, like you were saying, with the homeless individuals, we'll isolate and exile, whether that's prison or whether that's n losing your friends and family. Right? Think of someone who does a lot of drugs and just causes all of these issues. Think of someone who kills someone. And I'm not and I'm not trivializing or um, taking away from the horrific things that people do. That they're fucking horrible. But that's us, because you and I 
are the same people, and we can do that too, no matter how much of a high horse we ride, right? And when you say that, or thinking like that now, we see someone who's homeless. We see someone who, who has stolen or is in a domestic violence thing. And you say, okay, they took a bunch of left turns from where I where we all began, similar places, something happened in their life, or they made different choices, right? They're, they're not a bad person who needs to get who needs to be told they're bad something is fucked up right there and we need to help them tweak some shit instead of saying bad we need to help them tweak i i i couldn't agree more um and actually i want to extrapolate that point a little mm-hmm. out in light of recent events uh all the instances of shootings lately uh, mm. the ridiculous fact that the trend is is, is very high in america and that is just an example of someone who doesn't have the support that they need. Yeah. And in general, I feel like if you enable and love and support individuals, they will find healthy ways to process the feelings that they have. Mm-hmm. And I think right now with, with everything that we're seeing culturally just how divided we are, like, not advocating any stance. I, 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 I'm just seeing so much division. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like we're all feeling the same sort of pressure, just building this angst. And we're not enabled to, to, to deal with it. We're not enabled appropriately to deal with it, like, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually. I just feel like we're really stunted. And the manifestation of, of the far right or the far left or the far whatever end of the spectrum is just people who their experiences in life, they them reacting to their experiences in life, but it's getting really heightened to an extreme. And it, it, it really makes me wonder about, like, how how can we change that or mm-hmm. what do we need to, to put out into the world to change that? And that's where I think um, trying to understand our own selves learning what is the interpersonal skills and becoming more self-aware is very important because like we often idolize for example um historical figures martin luther king gandhi um abraham lincoln george washington and then you when you hear something that they did something foul like martin luther king was like told black people that um, you you should he told them that you shouldn't act certain ways because it makes a bad name for black people right and um, he did some other questionable things same with Gandhi I can't remember specifically Abraham Lincoln had slavery of course back in the day it's kind of that was a normal thing so he wasn't like malicious in the way that he did it but I'm just saying is everyone's fallible everyone is even the greatest of people have done wrong things in their own history and knowing that you you can't point fingers like thinking of that like the far right right or no I would go to women with feminism where women are saying like I yeah yeah I have to because yeah, like, when they're like absolutely. you know um or, or you're like a cisgendered white man right and that you have no right to talk on certain things or you should be disempowered because you're a cisgendered white man and you have uh, everything handed to you a la carte um, okay when you do that. You are burying someone to raise another person up. You are mirroring the oppression of men on women. Like, it's the exact same thing. It's just like if you, if a black person said that, oh, white people are fucking stupid. And it's like, or like making fun of white people and you can't make fun of black people. 
that's reverse racism. Like that that's the same thing. And that's where it's like everything you the um far right and the far left is literally like almost a mirror image of each other because it's the same issue. We gravitate towards groups. It's that's the the, the pressure I was talking about. Yeah. In the, these individuals, but it's the tribal mentality that that reinforces it. And um, you had mentioned something. Uh, I wanted to touch on it. Shit. The the oh the feminism feminism mm-hmm. movement. Uh, I was having a conversation today just before I came here with a friend. I'm really thankful to have some really intelligent friends. And this, uh, I feel like our culture doesn't like change. And admitting that we might have an issue in our culture around sexism would mean people would have to kind of admit they may have complicitly contributed to that and that they need to change their behavior. And that's scaring a lot of people. That's scaring men and women. I think there is a a sexism problem, and it's it's so embedded in our our culture that we don't even... uh, fully acknowledge it yet. I think people are afraid to acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. Um, but she raised the point that I thought was really interesting um, that made me think a, a, a lot of individuals, uh, or not a lot of individuals, excuse me, um, oh, she, she sent me an article. I don't know. If there we go. Should we get? Yep. Okay. Um, the Unforgiving Minute. Uh, it's on a website called Long Reads. It, the title, Don't Let It Scare You. Uh, you sh- it is a long read, but it's, it's well worth it. Uh, one of the points she brings up is that the author uh, hits on that when interviewing men, they present a, a concern for how this is going to affect their future abilities to get laid. Ooh. And uh, I'm, I, I'm almost numb. You know, these days, I Louis C.K. is most recent, uh, especially you wanting to do stand-up, me having a secret desire to do stand-up. That's, yeah. That's fucking... It, it, I'm almost numb with how frequent these, these allegations are coming to light, but also mm-hmm. it, it doesn't surprise me when mm-hmm. I look at our culture and I look at uh, what's going on. And so we as men still, we're like, well, how, like, we still want to get laid, and we're not acknowledging the problem, mm-hmm. and that sexual uh, assault, sexual violence is way more rampant than we're wanting to admit still, because mm-hmm. I think if, if, if we were able to admit it, the conversation would change. And you see, there's a weird thing that, that I've interacted with, and I've talked to older individuals as well, so they experience more or less like the 90s and pre-90s culture, that, okay, this is anecdotal, this is uh, an N of one experiment, or experience, <laughs> and uh, women, in the, when I was in the restaurant industry, right, most women work front of the house, not all, most, very few would work in the back of the house, same for men, most men would work in the back of the house, in the kitchen, very few men would work in the front of the house, um, you had some crisscross, but let's say you don't get free meals as a server, right, or a waitress, um, but some do, and the really cute younger ones would go to the older men, and they'd be like, "Hey, you you wanna you wanna make me some of that?" They'd flirt with them, you know. And most men were married; they never fucked for the most part. 
And especially when it was obvious like that, there was no sexual interaction in between those people. Usually the sexual interaction was between a server that did not actively flirt with someone to get food. But there was that. And I'm talking under 18 and over 18. Exhibited both. Not like 50-year-olds and 40-year-olds. So there's about a cutoff about 30 years old where you're, they didn't use their body to get shit. It was not initiated by the men. Every time it was initiated by the female. And it was really interesting to me. I was talking to someone who was older. Different scenario. She worked in industrial uh, manufacturing. And she wanted, uh, there was this position that was open. Well, the manager was flirtatious with her. So she flirted with him. She knew it was never going to go anywhere. But she leaned on it hard. She got the position. People always thought there was something going on between them. Nothing ever going on between them. I've heard this happen many times. I've had people, women, and this is cherry picking, and this, and I'm not hitting women hard. Is I'm men, obviously, all of this shit that's coming out with men, that shit happens like a lot. But I've been in other scenarios too with women where it's using looks um, or sexual characteristics and leaning hard on them to get certain things. So I've experienced it in other ways too, and that's where you talk about with the Harvey Weinstein thing with um, people getting like positions and stuff using. Uh, by sexual favors, for instance, I can understand that there's a pig putting it out there, and if he puts it out there, there's going to be some people who bite and are happy with it. There's going to be other people who might be forced or feel pressured. But there are, there are a group of people who will bite. There are a group of people where someone's not offering that. The woman themselves will make that situation. They'll use lean on their looks. It, they'll be a disgusting pig, if you were thinking of a man, but a woman, to get that. Does that make sense? I, yeah, it almost makes me question who would be the victim in that situation. Exactly. A, a, a man who has been on the receiving end of that mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. Uh, it does change the, the narrative a bit, but I think, you know, that's the point I'm talking about is mm-hmm. that that behavior is rewarded. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about it all the time. Like, uh, I, always, I, I joke about looking for a sugar mama, right? I do too. Yeah, I was wanting to fuck Betty White. Like, <laughs> I'd eat that salad. It makes me laugh, and that's the key. That's the whole point. That's yeah. what I'm saying, man. Ooh. And, and I make that joke, and it's. But the reality is, I mean, the existence of, of sugar daddies is is, in a, is a socially accepted thing, mm-hmm. right? And so women know that they're not really going to be frowned upon too much because that's it's that's our society reinforces that behavior. Mm-hmm. And so that does create a bit of a gray area in, in some instances, and that's what I'm talking about. Is, <laughs> is if if that's what's rewarded, that's what's going to be put out there. Mm. And it, it kind of goes to show now what our media is presenting is reinforcing the behaviors, uh, going the direction of of our sexually taboo or sexually stigmatized culture. Yet we use ass and tits to sell everything. So in in this consideration, I've always been fascinated with bikini baristas, and I'm trying to do some interviews with some people, so if you know anyone, yeah, hook me up. But because my whole thing is is that, all right, you're sure, you know, you objectify and you put them in this thing and they make money, right? But I think, and this is me being ignorant and naive as fuck, that the more that happens, you become desensitized. And then the value of a um, attractive body will go down. Like, if you see a man's, just man shirtless, right? I can go down to the beach and see that. I would be less likely to go out of my way and do things, you know, to be able to get that man to undress. 
be more likely to do it for a woman because it's like when they start undressing, it's all seductive and it's exciting because it's unusual. It's rare happening unless you're fucking. But like with the bikini baristas, you normalize it and I drive up. I don't because I'm genuinely not interested and they make shitty fucking coffee. But I drive up, but I drove up to the bikini barista and my son's in the back seat and he's like, oh, dad, why don't they have clothes on? I'm like, because they don't want to. And he's like, oh, there's a body. And he's not like, it's not hyper, uh, he's not hyper, he's being stimulated by those images, right? And he doesn't have to, what is that? Like, you know when you're a kid and you've pictured, like, when you're going to fuck a girl? And it gets really exciting, and then when you ha have sex with a girl for the first time, like, it's this moment that's been, like, building up when you look at porn as a kid and stuff like that. But if it was just way out in the open, then it would be like, oh, you know, we're, we're just having sex. Like, it would be normal. And I feel like when it's not normalized, it becomes it becomes weird. Like, repressed. Yeah, and that's what I think a lot of this is, is a lot of it could be, it could be repression. Because if you have, like, a Harvey Weinstein or whatever... He should be able to go pay for some fucking women. That's what he's doing right now, right? Because he's he's in a wrong, in a nasty way. He's doing it. He's has a position of power, and he's saying you want here. That's valuable to you. So you have to fuck me to get that valuable thing. Well, why not use that money that he generated to go pay willing women, who want to offer their bodies for sex, right? Or well, I don't know. I'm naive. So no, no, no. <laughs> I think now we're on to the topic of like uh, prostitution. Yeah. Which I, I, I believe the fact that it is illegal only perpetuates the, the, the sex slave trade because mm -hmm. it's allowing that black market to exist with no regulation or oversight. Mm -hmm. And then it also prevents men from obtaining access to that service, that, that service, that desire, that need that they have in a healthy fashion. And it denigrates the women who do want to professionally work in that industry. It, it, it absolutely does. It's just all around, in my opinion, the worst way to handle the situation. Mm -hmm. Because there are men who, who are repressing these desires and... and Can't get it because they don't got the body and they don't got the, the, the personality or, you know... <laughs> exactly. And so it's just another example of how we are hyper-sexualized or, like, hyper-aroused. Like, mm -hmm. I can't even, like, watch TV without, like, seeing... And, tits and then I'm like, hey, that's nice. And and that's what I feel like is like is almost a response to a puritanical society. And as you know, you you repress these things more when you do show that little bit of skin on TV. It's exciting because it's an unusual tease. It's a tease. But if I could like access titties, and my son could always access the pictures of titties, for instance. Oh, maybe this is fucked. But he, um, when when those, uh, you couldn't use that to sell a commercial as well because that wouldn't be anything special or interesting because it's normal. It's usual. Like, I would almost be curious because you know how they have more like nude beaches and shit like that over in Europe. I'd be curious on how people handle sex there. Even like Scandinavia, where the first time that kids usually have sex, the parents will invite the boy or the girl to the house and they'll explain to them about protection and they'll say, you can use the room if you want to have sex. It's like, wee! It's almost like the difference between, um, like, uh, what is it, cigarettes and drinking, where, or or weed and drinking, where parents hid weed all the time, and then people were, like, uh, really, like, what is that, what is that, and they're not supposed to do it, it's taboo, so let me go try it. Like, when anything becomes repressed, you, you add that extra add level. extra element of curiosity, mm -hmm. and it's, it's, it's frustrating personally for me when it's, 
like it's taboo, and the taboo is bullshit. Like mm-hmm. it's for bad. Well, in, but what is so this and this goes on to what we were talking about before is that everyone has the intention to receive um, pleasure and fulfillment in their own life. Even Hitler, it's the fucking same thing. Shit just kind of comes out a little bit fucked up and hurtful to to humans. Um, so what is taboo? What is the purpose of anything being taboo? Like the purpose of rape being taboo is obvious because if you raped people, there would be trauma. Our society would go downhill, right? That's, that's wrong. You're causing hurt on someone. So if you're hurting someone for the sake of your own pleasure, that's taboo. That makes sense to me. Why is, why, why is meth taboo? Like if you used it and it hurt you, why? Like, okay, you, you did that, and that's a consequence. You learn from it. It's You should never, I don't think you should bar, aside from very limited things, people from doing something. Like, I always tell my son, go ahead and experience it, and then we're going to talk about the consequences. Like, if my son uh, spills, uh, fuck it, that's a cliche, don't cry over spilt milk. My son spills over milk, why am I going to yell at him? He's going to learn to be careful because it sucks to clean up fucking milk. Like, I don't have to be a, a law for instance, and step in and say that I'm going to create artificial consequences to make sure you never do that again, right? But with murder and rape, we, we don't ever want that to happen. So we're going to create artificial consequences because we don't want that to happen even once. Like, that, yeah. no. But, you know, drugs, um, fucking get naked walking down the street. Why do you got to create artificial consequences? Because people are going to alienate you if you're always naked down the street. People are going to say, I don't want you to live here. That's uncomfortable. Go. Like, there's already natural consequences built into our society. And whenever you create artificial consequences, you can breed resentment and repression. Because repression is is that um, when you're, like, pedophilia is an example, right? This is a hard one to talk about. If you want to fuck kids, you have it in your head. You think about it, like, oh, I imagine just, just fucking that little boy. And, like, yeah, I know, I said that. But, but what if you had those thoughts, right? Like, that was a thought that came into your head at least once a day, and you never acted on that, or you did. If you were never allowed to talk to you, like, to talk to people about that, right? No one would tell you that, okay, sometimes you have bad thoughts. We all have bad thoughts. Some people picture jumping off of shit. They never jump off of anything. They've learned to um, accept some thoughts and let it go. Practice of meditation, for example. Or aggression. I want to punch this, this my friend right now. I want to beat the shit out of him because he's making me mad. But you choose not to. So it's teaching people to choose not to act on these bad thoughts. But when they're taboo, um, or even like, I want to fuck her, right? And she ain't going to let me fuck her. Yeah, okay, that's cool. You can have that thought. You're not a bad person for having that thought. You're a bad person for fucking acting on that thought. Like, that's yeah. the difference there. Well, and uh, a, a note on OCD, people don't really know. People, like, think of OCD and they think it's, like, light switches. And, yeah, I do. And uh, Jack Nicholson just... Do, 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 yeah, do. But, but there's also the compulsive component where some mm. people experience uh, it psychologically where they think just insane, and not to not to label them insane, you know, if you have OCD, you're, insane, you're not insane. Mm-hmm. But, but they think these thoughts that you just wouldn't even fathom, and you have no control over them. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's not like there's ever an act of wanting to uh, execute them. It's just like they're in your thought, in your head. And so I, I think on the last episode uh, I had mentioned uh, I have a bit of OCD. So And I remember being in church like Ooh. at like six or seven, and like all I could think about was like, don't say fuck, don't don't swear, don't in my head. And I'm like, I was so fucking guilty because I couldn't stop the stream of what I didn't want to happen. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so uh, the thought crimes—that's kind of like unfortunate that 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 we criminalize thought crimes. Mm-hmm. 
because uh, fuck, I don't give it. Religion is a whole other topic. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, no. Organized religion. Uh-uh. But like the yeah. thought crumbs, you're right. Because immediately, once you say that, and this is an example, if you say, oh, I'm a sinner because, you know, I'm thinking all these thoughts, not acting on them, I'm thinking on all these thoughts, then that's like a light switch, man. You see that with kids. The kids are like, oh, I'm a, I'm mean. I'm a jerk. When a parent says, like, you know, stop hitting me, you fucking meanie. And then all of a sudden, that kid identifies with meanness and then they are meanness that's so like you like identify with with sinning for example and you are sinning and then now it changes who you are and how you act and it's like that's like a kink in your personality now like that's where i think the thought crimes are fucked up because it causes you to identify and to malalign your character with these archetypes well and um this is you're kind of outlining the cognitive stability model or, or Ooh, concept. What's this? Where if you label someone as uh, something, a criminal or a thug, over time of consistently being portrayed that way or feeling portrayed that way, you're just going to act that way because what the fuck it I'm already perceived that way. Mm-hmm. And your brain wants to just be be stable. Mm. How it works. And so looking at our prison systems and how they're not designed to rehabilitate individuals and you go in there and all they feel like are criminals day in and day out and they're treated as such they're just going to continue to be criminals mm, that and makes sense that's something that uh, I, I think our society does not do well the we were talking about the drug use so we we, we criminalize drug use we criminalize addiction we criminalize just even being a criminal. Mm-hmm. If somebody gets, you know, maybe a three-year sentence, but in that three years they're exposed to these conditions that are not going to help actually rehabilitate them, what have we done? Mm-hmm. We just wasted a bunch of taxpayer money, and now this person is no better off. Like, uh, something I, I, I wish I had access to would be the information of, of people in jail right now in Washington for only marijuana-related offenses. I'm curious, now that it's legal, are, are people still serving sentences for that? That just baffles my mind in general. Mm-hmm. You have people in jail, but only federally. See, I think in, in the state of Washington, they got released overwhelmingly because, I believe, I could be really off on this, but because our, in Washington, their system, the prison system and jail system is so full that they were releasing people based on the hierarchy of what they did. Okay, and it was, yeah. yeah, exactly. And what, and it, it was fucked in a lot of ways because they actually released some really sketchy individuals. But it goes back to what we're talking about. Like you brought up rehabilitation, right? We have this penal system, which is basically like spanking an, like your kid to um, not bringing parenting into, but like spanking your kid, causing them pain and suffering, to be able to make them a corre- make, force them to make corrective action in their lives. And that's not giving them the tools saying, you already know how to make right choices, so we're going to make you really sad and uncomfortable to force you to make right choices. Well, why do you think they know how to make right choices in the first place? That's like a kid, and once again, hitting and biting someone, and you're saying, like, why are you doing this? That kid doesn't know how to you how to cope with their anger. So how do you expect yelling to teach them how to cope with their anger? No, you have to give them tools. So use anger to treat anger. Yeah, the the prisoners lack tools. Mm-hmm. Like even if someone was in there like uh, for marijuana, for instance, you could 
there could be something that could have helped along the way. Like, it's not, I don't think you should have been locked up to be, you know, with, I don't think you should have been locked up for selling or possessing marijuana, right? But there could have been things that put you in a risky situation that brought you there, right? Like, uh, for example, I used to sell weed when I was a kid. And I didn't really know risk analysis very well. It's a, uh, what is it? It's not a misdemeanor. It's a felony if you have over an ounce. And I used to move a couple pounds in Idaho. That's not a good idea. Like, it, I, I, I was helping people, and I'm down with that. And it's, but I needed to learn to be smart. I never got caught because I was smart. People got caught as kids because they weren't very smart, right? So there's just, why you end up in prison, for example, there's something happens, whether it's um, morally cur- morally right or morally wrong. And someone needs to be the person that can give you advice on how to lead your life in a way where you do not end up there again. Because you're right. We have a lot of people who are going back into prison systems. We have a lot of people who are on probation, and they continually get put on probation. It's a trap. And there's no education on how to get out of that trap. Or very few, I mean, in religion. but And, and also, too, it's, it's, it's a trend. Mm-hmm. And I think we're seeing some, some scary trends that people aren't talking about in terms of, like, our education, um, our, our prison systems, uh, the drug use, opioids. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, opioids are going through the roof, and most and of it's all from prescription pills first and then moved on to harder shit. And the, the data is out there. Uh, look at America's now the only country who has not signed the What's that? The, the, the climate change. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. shit. I feel so ignorant right now. What? It's, it's, it's almost like you don't want to check the news anymore because it's, it's bullshit. And, and I, I kind of don't know how to go about raising awareness uh, in a way that isn't divisive. That's where, so like, the way that they do it in this format our current format, which I think is shifting, is news is utilizing um, fear uh, to gain the attention of people, right? Um, but entertainment, right? Like, if you, instead of gra- gaining, grabbing an audience because of, based on fear, polarizing things, why don't you deliver it in a, like, you know, the Colbert Report, right? Yeah, on Comedy Central, before he switched over to whatever gig he's doing right now, he delivered shit that was true. And he mixed it with some um, funny satire, right? So you didn't have to talk about people dying all the time. People were hooked because it's an interesting way to deliver it. And that's why I see, like, the potential when you have news um, or, like, a teacher's the same way. Teacher's teaching you about math. Oh, it's just boring. I want to check out. That teacher's a performance artist. A news anchor is a performance artist. They can weave words in a way that captivates you, that you're not listening because you want to be informed first. You're listening because you're bored and you want entertainment. And then as a consequence of that, you're learning things. You're learning true things instead of going on the news and, you know, these people got killed and all that other bullshit. Like, I I feel like there's a a potential to present things in a way that's captivating instead of doing what we're doing now, which fear, just laying it on. Uh, this this totally reminds me of, of um, a comparison one did of Orwell's 1984. Ooh, I love that book. Uh, Brave New World, I believe. Never read that book. Uh, where book. they discuss the difference, you know, you can, uh, Orwell's fear was that they would use fear and totalitarianism to control us. Uh, Huxley's was that they would use pleasure and entertainment to distract us. Oh, really? <laughs> and it's almost like that's exactly what's going on. It's like if you're not afraid, you're seeking the next 
read. Yeah. You know, the, for me, the there's not a lot of pursuit of just sort of uh, moderate moderation. You know, mm-hmm. what's, what's what's the what's the truth? Mm-hmm. Not not where to compensate. Oh, no, you can keep going. You're saying the reward and pleasure, or I mean, pleasure and fear to distract us. And it, and it seems like that's that's all that we're doing is that we're either really afraid or we're just like looking for the next thing. I mean, if you look at though the the fight, fight or flight, for example, and that that's the thing that we are motivated on. Yeah, you can. Like, um, is the fear and the thrill is the reward and yeah, the trauma, for example, and like trauma is one of our greatest teachers and. Uh, pleasure is like the carrot on the stick. Is the thing that pulls us forward. It's like trauma is the thing that pushes us, and pleasure is the thing that pulls us. I like that. And yeah, and like, so I I think that but, but yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean that the path you're on is good. You could be pushed and pulled in a bag. And way. that's because now though, like we are. Social media, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. Instant gratification. The dopamine rush and the yeah. Tinder, I, I like to mm-hmm. use that example, is that uh, flirting and courting and all of that seems to have, like, disappeared. Yeah, and it's like, see, that's where you're right. It doesn't always have to take you in the positive direction because now it is not an organic thing that happens. It is an intentional thing that happens in our system of capitalism and on a sociological level for government, right? Because, like, you Tinder is a good example. Social media, another good example. Um, they are successful because they found a way, not intentionally, kind of by accident, to uh, through trial and error how to hijack our um, dopamine receptors yeah. through this through this thing this thing with liking and all this other shit. They created a formula that hijacked our reward centers and also our fear response. Like, how am I going to look? How am I going to be perceived? Same with Tinder. How am I going to look? How am I going to be perceived? I'm not getting very much likes. Oh, no, I'm doing something wrong. It, like, literally changes the foundation of, you know, how we build ourselves and how we perceive ourselves. And that is where we do have to be, you're right, careful. And this is a segue, but maybe way off topic. And (laughs) you could pull me back in if it gets that way. But that's where uh, capitalism is, um, you know, you're just trying to make the um, the most money, right, in the market. It's You're trying to provide value to your market, and if people pay for your product or service, then obviously you're valuable and you'll make it, and you'll keep going up and up and up. Um, I think another way, though, is, is looking at assessing it. How is this, and it would be hard, probably very impossible, or impossible, to look at, okay, how does this benefit the person or how does this benefit society and you your company should be like have a reduced tax rate as your product or service um is beneficial to the society so like if you sell cigarettes yeah like oh. yeah exactly no solar panels are perfect cuz solar panels and cigarettes are the same similar things in the sense that it's um people want them people want solar panels cuz they want to be renewable get off the grid and it's cheaper um in the long run so and what they do is they, you know, they lower the tax rate on them or they give it a break to where, like, you get a rebate or something through the government, I believe, and you put those up. You're incentivized. And those companies, though, who make solar panels should have a lower, marginally lower tax rate that they have to pay. They, don't, they should not have to give financially back to the society 
to provide all the services of society, like so, social security, any of these things, infrastructure, they should not provide as much as a cigarette company. A cigarette company takes away from the society for the product that they sell, but that people like it. So they're going to be successful as a capitalist in a capitalist market, right? But their tax rate, instead of like a 32% on a solar panel, should be a 40%. It's obvious because it causes health risks and all that other shit. They should pay more into society because they're taking away from society with the success that they have. And so I think when you do that, though, like if a pharmaceutical company, I don't believe, and I'm, I need to learn more about this, I'm very naive, that a pharmaceutical company does not start or does not create pills and products to be able to take advantage of you. That's not the thought. The thought is, you know, medication, we need to sell medication to be able to help people and all this other shit. It becomes maligned because in a capitalistic society, because they do all this research and they have to put millions of dollars into one fucking pill. And if it goes through and makes it through all the testing and shit, then they can be profitable, hopefully, right? But what happens is with Oxycontin, ooh, Oxycontins are selling fast. Everyone's liking them. And then these doctors will have them prescribe extra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they get all their money. It's not because they're trying to hurt you, Andrew. They're trying to obviously make it in the system. But that should they should be t penalized through taxation because that's a bad thing to create a, a pill subscription service. For people to be chronically medicated, it's a good thing because it's like Netflix. For the rest of your life, you're going to be paying, you're going to be paying your dues for your prescriptions. But they should be penalized because that's a bad thing. Like, that's that created our, you know what I mean? I, I, I don't know where I fall on the socio-political spectrum anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, neither do I. <laughs> uh, I. I, when I was young and dumb, not that I'm not dumb anymore, but I'm a little older. Yeah, um, a little I was older like and less dumb. Die-hard libertarian, and I laugh at. You know how I used to like behave, or, or just like the thoughts I used to have. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've, I've become more moderate now. I'd, I'd say I'm a moderate libertarian. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot about you know how we should in the future act and how we should in the future behave. It feels like we're very reactive as a culture, mm -hmm. and I think we should be more proactive. But I also kind of live under just the I just have accepted our government is fucked. Mm -hmm. Like it's corrupt. And the same reason that socialism fails is the same reason that capitalism fails, and that is greed and corruption. It's just people trying to hoard power and resources for them and their friends. Um, and, and it's really disheartening. Uh, you know, you can, a lot of people tell me I'm wrong, but it's really hard to argue. Like, when you do look at the pharmaceutical companies, and uh, I would like to live in a world where true, honest, Un, unbiased research was done, mm -hmm. and where the empirical results of such research dictated how we behaved, not lobbied. Yeah, that's true, because you even see the uh, placebo effect. I've read the book by uh, suggest the book Suggestible You, which is a book I'm um, covering the placebo no nocebo, so your brain's capability, capabilities to uh, <coughs> heal itself, for instance. Not, or not heal itself, but to handle ailments. And the placebo effect is a real thing, and you really can. We all, we know this by empirical fucking evidence. You can <coughs> suggest your mind to be able to do most things that pills can do. The placebo effect is so high, but it's nothing that we focus on because it's like you're saying. And uh, so I just, um, in terms of taxation, though, I I think that it's such a hot button issue that I. I would love to just keep it simple, stupid. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, I like a, a flat tax 
sort of uh, structure. I, I, that is regressive, so I think maybe a, a slight graduation, mm -hmm. like let's say 15%, 16%. Um, this is where I think we should let the experts, you know, handle out the details. I think a good, a good politician, you know, doesn't have the answers, but is mm -hmm. open to listening to the experts and creating the best, most informed decision. Unfortunately, I feel like Americans are not enabled to make informed decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, I think if 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 true evidence was suggested, we wouldn't have federally illegal marijuana. Use. Mm -hmm. That's just an easy example of how we are directly misinformed. Yes, and especially with people now, I see it in forums and um, even talking to people one-to-one. -one, they are surprised by what they learn of – I smoke weed, so this could be an issue. Um, they're surprised by they, how harmless weed can be, or they're surprised by, like, people who smoke weed because they have their imagination fucked with by a lot of propaganda – and it, it hijacked their understanding of it. A lot of misinformation, like you're saying. I would like to add to that with who can spend any fucking time doing research on political things. So we, like, you know, to, to be able to gain a full understanding of things. So people often like, oh, Fox News is my shit. And whatever they say goes. Or, like, Republicans, whatever they say goes. Because you don't have time. Like, there, it should be like washing your clothes. We should be taught as growing up. And there should be a time expectation, like... Eight hours a day of work as an expectation, fucking make it seven and allow people one hour a goddamn day to be able to, like, like encourage to become informed. Like, encourage a culture of an informed culture. And then also when it's voting time, you have the mail-in ballots. That's awesome. But also make it a fucking national holiday. Because before it was mail-ins, no one had the day off. There's a reason that it's not the case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, there was an interesting thing is that, like, and I'm not well versed in this, but it'll be fun anyways. Um, there's the. the God, what's the date? Oh, it's not the fifth of November. <laughs> no. Only it was remember. Yeah. Of November. So close. <laughs> we should have done that on the fifth yeah. of November. The founding fathers, they they um, they have been cited saying that like you cannot give power. Fuck, what is it? They were afraid that if you gave, like, complete and absolute, I think it was, like, freedom or ability to vote for like, all impoverished people, for example, like the lower class, if they empowered them equally as powerful members of society, then what would happen is, is that they would just vote the money out of them. They would do whatever they could to take the money from them. What would stop them? So they had to create a sort of inequality within the political field because if you had we have way more people who are poor than rich, right? So the majority don't have a lot of money. The minority has a lot of money. What stops the majority from taking the minority's money? Because if we were up to a vote, it would obviously, who would win? <laughs> like, the majority would win. And that, I think, was the thinking behind some of it, because they would, um, what do you call it? Like, uh, there's certain, I don't I really wish I knew, but there's certain systems that are in place that actually do keep, like, working-class individuals way back then, intentionally not able to be as involved in the political sphere because they didn't want them to influence it and to take away from like the, the higher social class. And so there's always this weird stratification there. But the thing that you brought up before was like cronyism and stuff. Okay. I have done some, I've made some poor choices in my life at the risk of others. I try not to do that now. Like I still do it here and there. And you know, I fuck up sometimes I'm trying. I've, 
probably everyone that I meet does that, even the nicest person, man. I can't give them all the chips. Like, so if that's true, and the reliance on technology is probably a bad thing. So, whoops. But technology, though, it doesn't. It doesn't decide. Like it, it doesn't. Its technology is not fallible. It's only fallible if it uh, if there's an error or if someone writes an algorithm incorrectly. So why wouldn't you have technology objectively aggregate all of your data for an entire society? It could handle it. It handles a search engine globally. Like why don't you have a technology to aggregate data from your entire society in in an objective manner? side what the majority says and in an objective manner carry out your wishes as a group and if you do that you can't be like and this is all like you know weird speculative fucking shit but i'm just saying like technology in the sense it to, de to decentralize power right and to give a voice to small groups like you're right there's this cronyism, and uh, politicians will look out for their own little group, right? And there's lobbying as well, and they identify with their group. And they out on the out, there's a diffusion of responsibility, like a oil company who's lobbying. They don't care as much for the environment, maybe, because they're not a part of, like, the environmental people. Those are different people. So instead of creating these, like, wars, you use, like, technology to bridge the gap. And so there is fairness, because you can't say that it's unfair when we've written it that way. Like... Everyone could look at it the same way, and there's no two ways of looking at it and saying that, like, it's unfair. Does that make any sense at all? A little bit. Um, I, I, I might tangent this mm -hmm. a bit. Yeah. If somebody's listening and wants to do this, uh, that'd be rad. Ooh. Uh, I have this idea for something called the, the Social Awareness Project, uh -huh. where I would want to create uh, objective, using objective data, yes. uh, charts or... or um, Visual representations. I, I'm a huge fan of this program called, called Tableau. It's Ooh. a data analytics uh, software that does uh, visualizations for data. Uh, but they, it's very powerful and really just kind of easy to use. So if you have Tableau and you have access, you can uh, embed you know, virtual data, go online to the website. Uh, and I want to compare America on a, a, a plethora of uh, scales and see where they rank in terms of the education system, in terms of you know the gun violence, yeah, the sexual assault violence, in terms of uh, how much freedom we have, uh, what the average tax rate is, what the average amount of student loan debt is, what the average amount of medical debt is, what the average amount of personal savings mm -hmm. is, just as many different uh, data points that you can uh, analyze and compare it to the rest of the world, because everybody likes to think America is the greatest country ever, mm -hmm. so, like, what is your, your your proof and your reasoning for that? And I think if it was a really concise sort of, you know, look at where America actually falls, you know, I don't think we'd be ranked as high as we do. That's interesting that you brought that up because if you provided a platform with consolidated data, yes. not even just like in comparison to countries, but that – and then more things. So you have all of these, like we were talking about, people generally don't have enough time to look into things. Mm -hmm. um, and we usually use people, we listen to their opinions, and we take that and we accept that as, you know, gospel. Um, because, once again, people don't have, most people don't have much time or interest to look further into that. But if you had a platform that was consolidated data from everything, everything that is relevant and important to, like, elections or uh, just, you know, our culture, for instance, if you had somewhere to access that and it was objective data, you would then not – it wouldn't be playing the telephone game. You could look at this hard fucking facts, unalterable facts, 
and make decisions your own way. And I think having access to more, like we're in this, you know, the information age, having access to more objective information, an informed citizen, I think would be for the better. Because what we are doing now, even with like the gender thing, you know, with the whole pay gap, like I know Rogan's talked about this often, um, how like there's uh, what women make 70 cents on the dollar and how generally it's not true because it, um, the 70 cents, they don't count for, like, you know, pregnancy leave, uh, just a, a wealth of other factors. Because, like, if my son's mom, she's worked in the lumber mill. I did a podcast with her. Did she get paid any less than people? That would be fucking absurd. Like, if you heard someone that you were working with got paid the same job as you, $2 less... Well, some like, employers actually discourage employees. Yeah, they, yeah, they do. Yeah. About how much each other makes to prevent, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's, yeah, to prevent collective bargaining. But, like, what I thought would be important, though, is instead of, you know, the, you have a a cut, there's people who parroted the, this information, you know, misinformation from, um, because they aligned with, you know, whoever was talking. Mm -hmm. And then there's these other people who uh, either parroted misinformation, other misinformation, or they parroted facts, which, whatever one that was. Right? It started from a source that you believe to be true. Well, why don't you have a platform that is true, just is? Because you use technology to objectify that. Because technology is the true objectification of reality. No, it's not. And say that. Uh, no, I get what you're saying, though. It's, it's, it's the, 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 technology is the platform we can use to prove things. Yes. You know, the data. I think the problem is, is uh, what is the best data is, is the question. Mm -hmm. uh, and in, in this day and age... Oh, now we're talking we, about truth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have access to all the, the best and truth is relative too because like how you're saying almost in like not having access to the best data is truth is relative because i could tell you that like um what do you call it uh afghanistan is a dangerous place to live right that, that's true because things happen there right but the a real state another statement that is also true is is that like you have a is the same average amount uh, you, you have the same possibility of dying in Afghanistan as a citizen as you do in America. That's true, too, because truth is relative. It's all about the data that you use and how you display the data. So you are correct in that sense. Like, you could easily have a um, a vacuum or you could have, like, a, a right-wing, you know, platform, and they can only show fucking put in data to support yeah. their own beliefs. That is an interesting thing. And I just I don't think there's a really good objective voice out there. I retract that statement. <laughs> yes. I agree. There is not a good objective voice out there. And that's where I come to the point to like, like how can you lean more on, you know, technology? I think now the answer to that is communication. You mm -hmm. just start talking to people. Yeah. And opening your, yourself to try and see the world from other people's lens as well. And that goes back to what we were talking about before, how like if so, no one isn't intentionally trying to hurt you, it is merely a consequence of their own thing. Even a feminist doesn't necessarily like if she's like, you're a cisgendered white guy. Well, that's all her own bullshit kind of vomiting out onto you, you know, or like the, even like Harvey Weinstein where he does all that other shit, that's all his bullshit vomiting out to these other people. And if you communicate, then it's like, oh, that guy's a person, something fucked up there. And it all goes back to how I don't think that we're enabled as a society to, you know, uh, the people who are uh, uh, offended at cis white males, 
they have not been enabled to fully express themselves, so they have that, that pressure within them, and mm-hmm. that's a manifestation of that, because we still don't really have, uh, we're still fighting for gay rights, which is fucked. Yeah, exactly. Like, I thought we had made progress, but, like, it, 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 it's just crazy, mm-hmm. the world that we live in. It and really is, man. I wanted to address the pay gap thing mm-hmm. too. You had mentioned. Um, I've heard both. I think it's seventy-eight cents and like mm-hmm. maybe ninety-two cents. Yeah. So like the more real number is whatever. Um, I think if we gave men paternal leave, which mm-hmm. some companies are starting to do, uh, it all goes back to you know this podcast becoming human, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, uh, why do just women get maternal leave? That was actually so. That's the thing that I actually had issues with. Ooh, I'm gonna have to put this into some, work this into some comedy. I never thought of that. Is that when I was in high school, um, I tried to ask for maternal leave because my son was being born, and my son's mom only got it. They wouldn't. That the school district would not give it to me. My principal, because he's a badass, was like, "I'll let you just go for a week, and I won't say anything. I can get kicked out of school." Because I requested a month because my son was about to be born. I go to my work, and I ask for maternal leave. My boss, the guy who owns the whole restaurant, uh, dude, no. Like, she could take care of it. And then um, my head chef, he's like, yeah, that's fine. I'll cover you. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, what the fuck? Of course, I'm always more of, like, more nurturing than my son's mom was. So that really affected me. And I was really, like, jumping onto that kind of thing. So I might have been unusual in that role. But there was no... There was no sympathy, very little sympathy there. And I was like, what the fuck, man? This is crazy. It it, it is. And, you know, these constructs that that you've created, I mean, when did it become the norm that men uh, were not directly involved in the development of the just born Mm -hmm. age? Yeah, and there's an interesting thing, too, is that this might be really weird and, uh, what is it, esoteric, but um, that... I got in this thing where, like, I want to see what happens if I could breastfeed my son. And it was because she didn't want to breastfeed and she wanted to give him formula. And I found out that you could actually, there's a thing called suggestive breastfeeding where, like, as a response to a child crying and not receiving nourishment, you'll eventually lactate. And then you can give, you can breastfeed a child. And, like, um, I found that out. So, like, if a kid was born way back in the day and the mom were to die after pregnancy... A backup plan for adults or for humans was that a man would lactate in response to a child's cries over a certain amount of time so then they can, you know, provide nourishment for the kid instead of it dying. And so I think there's these aspects where we fill those roles when they're empty. I think, though, is like what we have, what we do sometimes, and we're kind of doing it now in terms of like laws and stuff in response to all the new cultural uh, innovations we're having, if you will, or trying to have. Is that sometimes we, like Canada does it quite a bit right now, with um, putting more and more laws into place that provide more protection for people, right? Um, And also uh, litigious action. So, like, if you say something, if you call me a wrong pronoun, I can sue you, basically, right? Um, Or that's an offense, actually. It's up in Canada. It is an offense. Like you can you can get fined and you can go to jail. Um, but because it, it's harassment and all this other shit. But and I think you have to go through some extreme stuff to be able to actually get like some serious consequences for it. But my point is, is that as opposed to teaching the individual how to cope and how to manage and deal with a that fuckhead or that person who's making a poor choice by mistreating you. 
um, we put all these laws in place. And that becomes we develop more thought crimes for the sake of freedom, and it becomes more restrictive in the end. As opposed to you have kids or you even have adults now too. What you were saying before is communication, teaching. Okay, we need to communicate. This person who's calling me a, um, a fucking butch bitch, <laughs> um, he has issues. Mm-hmm. And I need to tell him that I don't appreciate you saying that. I need to understand how to separate myself and protect myself physically and mentally from this human being. And that's what's important, more than, you know, creating thought crimes. Because if you create thought crimes, we create more repression, and then we create angst, and people are fighting again like they are now. Yeah. No, I'm all about, like, the fewer laws, the better. Mm-hmm. That's and a libertarian. Yeah. <laughs> Part of you speaking. No, I, I still think I'm a libertarian, even though I feel a bit like a hippie. Yeah, well, but I, why can't there just be a cool mixture of both, you know? Yeah, I it's, call it a social libertarian. Yeah, there we go. It's like chocolate chip and peanut butter cookies put together. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm curious. You're saying that, like, um... When you were growing up, like, your mom made different career choices and stuff like that? Because we were talking about prostitution earlier, and I'm just, I mean, yeah, I'm interested. Yeah. Um, my mom actually was a prostitute. And so um, growing up, I didn't have, like, a, a – I had multiple father figures, but I didn't ever have, like, a name. Oh, wow. Or, uh, yeah, so there's, like, no father's name on my birth certificate. And uh, there was also, like, my family did some drug dealing. So, like, just a lot of – Unsavory people around. At the time you were really young, it was like not something that you can. That's like at the front of your mind, or is it? So I mean, I look back and I, I, the more I learn about the real world, uh, I guess the real world being, uh, I, I I use the concept of the social fact to kind of talk about the real world. The social fact being the generally accepted perception of. A country. Mm-hmm. So, like, America's social fact that we're free and that we have equality. Um, you know, that's the social fact, but I think the reality is uh, we have uh, an under an underworld or, like, a subculture that's not... That's not it's, it's talked about a lot, but it's not accepted. And I think that's more of our real world. And right now in the world, I think that's what's happening, is that people are... are, are raising awareness of, of the real America, and others are, are fighting to, to accept that because change is scary. Their, their, their entire view of the world now is, is, in some instances, wrong. And so, like, the more I learn about the real America, the more I'm starting to actually put the puzzle pieces together, and I'm like, oh, that's why I had so many of these black-ass uncles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because my family, they used to uh, use and deal like math and stuff like that all the time. And I grew up in this, what I'd say, drug culture, or subversive drug culture, if you will. But yeah, interesting. Because I didn't, my father figures they bounced around and changed names all the time, too. And so. Huh. And, yeah, and weren't exactly the best uh, role models. No. Uh, no, and so, um, and I've, I've learned in, in sharing my story that. Uh, that's not uncommon, maybe not to that depth, uh, but a lot of my male friends didn't have fathers that invested in them. Their dads would either go to war or they'd go to work and they'd come home and they'd drink like alcohol, maybe to excess. Uh, they Now they're taking opioids. 
so uh, the father's role in our society, and, and even sitcoms kind of reinforce this, where they they don't invest in the child. That's the mom's job. And and why is that? Like I I want a sugar mama because I want to be a stay at home dad. That's like my dream job. Like I do some personal training, do some massage, but I want to be able to like sleep in, like watch cartoons with the. Things like mm, yeah, because it's almost like that that expectation that this is something that that you know wrong that it's repressive, and it, we can't can't become repressed because like you're only showing you know the that a specific archetype, and you're right that there it's you can't make these sweeping generalizations because we all come from like a very particular niche within our own society. Like, for instance, I'm almost in the same way. Like, my entire life, I've been nurtured. And that's, that's like, the role that I have fulfilled. And it was never intentional. Um, I used to always joke, like, I got titties, my wife's got a dick. And, like, <laughs> that, that was just, just how it was. You know, uh, that's how I perceived it. Because I had diff way different natural tendencies. And I think it's that is talking about these thoughts and these feelings that we have and just realizing that it's not so scary to put them out there. Like when you go up uh, on stage, for instance, right? Um, I don't know. Have you ever been up on stage before? Uh, not like performing really. So like the thoughts that, that generally that goes through some people's head is like, okay, what are people going to think of me? Are people going to like my thoughts? Are people going to laugh? Are people going to enjoy it if it's poetry, right? And you, you realize that there isn't much to fear. Because, like, our tendency to not be vulnerable and not communicate, like, me telling you that I'm having a rough time right now because, you know, I quit my job and that um, my, now I have full custody of my son. And in some ways I'm, like, hurting trying to figure it out and hurting for him for his situation, right? I'm really, like, uh, I'm vulnerable right now. And some people that I talk to, especially of the generations before, would be like I would bottle that shit up. No one's supposed to know about that. That's my that's my secret. That's my it's uh, you know I keep it behind closed doors. Behind closed doors is bad. Behind closed doors is almost always bad. It leads to like some some sort of repression. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, it, it it comes out in other ways though. Like mm -hmm. it's just it does. That that's what like, yeah. Like I people I think psychologically I were my old roommate used to say this so I have to give him credit. Mm -hmm. uh, we're in an emotional dark ages. Mm, yeah. You know, people, we, why are you supposed to repress and suppress your feelings? Mm -hmm. uh, it, I, I think about often what our ancestors did, you know, uh, especially spiritually. Uh, I feel like the role of a shaman, his, his role in society was to help you process your shit. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about mental health now, that's the Counselors are our modern-day shamans, mm -hmm. or they should be. Um, mental health is, is severely underserved, unfortunately, in our country. Um, but why is it that having shit to deal with is bad? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that is true. Why is there this negative stigma on um, having these, these issues or this baggage, right? Because in the end, like, what I thought 
and this could this could be a very personal thing and very difficult to extrapolate, but I'm curious. Uh, maybe we're just coincidental, but I don't think so, because um, I grew up with a lot of assumptions about life. And as I go on, I realize that a lot of those assumptions, not all of them, but most, are wrong, especially the ones that are fear-based. And I didn't know that they were wrong because I never said anything. I always kept it like if I um, entered a room and I always got really awkward, right? And I didn't say anything that I feel awkward right now. I kept that to myself because I was afraid, of course, of, you know, of expressing that to my friends. I realized that even the people who impressed me the most socially, actually those people specifically, were the most awkward on the inside. And that everyone at least felt a hint of this awkwardness. I was like, I'm not alone. Dude, for like 15 years, I thought I only dealt with this. I didn't realize that, you know, what I feel, I'm not, I'm not unique in any way. And I think that, like, having that conversation and being able to, hmm, I don't want to do that. I was going to say come out of the closet, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, fuck it. <laughs> come out of the, well, come out of the, um, the, the closet of emotions, if you will. And in a glass case of <laughs> <laughs> No, no, that's, that's exactly it. Because you can, you look at people and it is a glass case because mm-hmm. you see right to them. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I can see it on people's faces. I feel like I'm an empathic person. You know, you can just see the hurt on people. Yeah, or like the fear. And, it's or, 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 and for some reason, like, people just are drawn to me. Like, mm-hmm. I have random conversations with people on the bus. Yeah, yeah. People are just fucking, and, and there's something about it, and so I, I, I like just talking to people, and, and that's why, you know, I'm, we're here. I want to just raise awareness and, and, and support for people who you know, might feel like there's something wrong with them, or, or, or for people who want to seek counsel. I, Like, that was an error. <laughs> no, like, I mean, it's just like, uh, I'm curious, mm-hmm. and uh, if our if our culture was different, the instances of um, bisexuality in men, because our culture uh, kind of, we, we call bisexual women unicorns, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Um, you know what, and I'm, I support whatever, whatever, like... We, we'd already talked about mm-hmm. sexual stigma, right? Yeah, exactly. But uh, I think that that's that's a stigma that like isn't even being talked about. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what's the point? Because if indulging in any of those uh, sexual pleasantries is never destructive towards anybody, so what's the point? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sidetracked a bit, but mm, like, sorry. Men used to have an outlet for or to talk, especially to an elder, and. Just this concept of counsel. The word counselor came from that. You know, we, I really want to encourage that people seek that and open up. And myself being vulnerable and going through a, a tough spot in life, too, I've opened up and shared my story a lot more with people. And uh, it, it, it creates this reciprocity where they then open up and they, they, they tell their story. And then it creates this mutual sort of, of new, new, new connection and... and new sense of connection to the universe. And new understanding, new too, understanding, yeah. yeah. And so I, I, I really think we, we need to encourage more of that in our in our society. Mm-hmm. I, I agree, and that's... Um, it's interesting to me because it's going back to, like, entertainment and gamification. So, like, uh, social media does that. It, it gamifies um, 
not these things that we're talking about, but it gamifies posting, right? And um, structuring your life in an appealing way so you get the most amount of likes. Um, but it's interesting, too, because you can create a platform that causes people to uh, structure their lives to be more vulnerable and open. Podcasting is one of them. Because podcasting, like if you look at um, many of the influential podcasters that aren't like covering entertainment topics, that are just merely talking, for instance, um, they're putting themselves in these places and they're being rewarded by it because people find it interesting. So encouraging the culture to move more in that direction. So as you create, the creating platforms based around that would be beneficial for our society. And I'm hoping that we're moving towards that. And I think we are because a lot of people are dropping out of, you know, tune in and drop out like news and um, like news and then certain entertainment that's like a blase, like a, not stand up, sorry, sitcoms where like sitcoms, you know, the, um, the, all the situations are the same over and over and over again. It's really shallow. It's surface level. It doesn't deal with anything that's uh, meaningful, relevant, or resonant. And other things like that do, though. Like you got podcasting, for instance. You got different kinds of like books and stuff. Things that expand your ability to communicate and your understanding of yourself. And I think those, those should, or hopefully, will become more at the forefront of our conversations and how we spend our time. You know. Yeah, it's not being indulged, not indulging in this very uh, Candy Crush esque form of entertainment and joy, because yeah, I, I, people want more. Mm-hmm, people like, do. They're 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 grasping for it. And I think it's like this acceleration with that we have with technology, because you're talking about before how you're always looking for like the extreme of one thing, and whether or not that's like pleasure or you know even fear in the instance, looking up like crazy-ass beheadings and shit. So you have access to, like, everything instantaneously that allows for less dead time. And I think when we have less dead time, we start reaching further. So, like, my son, for instance, by the time he's my age, he will be exponentially further along than I will be at my age now because he started from somewhere else. Does that make sense? Like, so that's where I'm hoping that, yeah, we have platforms that encourage that shit, though, you know? And, yeah. And with with the, the communication, because... Like, I talk to my mom frequently, and she's like, you know, I've never really talked to my mom about any of this kind of stuff, because I'll talk to her about a lot of shit, like, uh, sexual experiences even, like, uh, me in relationships, like, chasing after relationships to feel sex, or to have sex, and to feel like, like, uh, pump up my ego and make me feel good, and like, yeah. I have a story on that. Ooh, let's, let's hear it. Um... My not to interrupt, but like no, right when you right when you said that, my immediate thought was, "Whoa, that's weird." Mm-hmm. Why was my immediate thought that? Like, why would talking about sex with your mother be weird? Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't have that sort of relationship, and in in some ways, I wish I did. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to uh, some trauma and whatnot, uh, we were talking about that. Um, I have always had probably not the greatest relationship with women in that uh, I've never been really good at being monogamous. Oh, really? Yes. It's okay. I got issues with women, too. Um, and uh, for the longest time, that, that just created a lot of like hate, self-hate, uh-huh. and guilt. And I kind of wish somebody would have... Like uh, a mother figure in my life had kind of, because she was aware of this, mm-hmm. but didn't talk about it. Oh, you know, yeah. because it, it it's stigmatized for like 
parents and kids to, to talk about sex these days. Yeah. Um, you know, and I wish that because I'm finding out the, the, the idea of swinging in our parents' generation they all did it yeah. for like a period, yeah, yeah, you know, and so like all my friends are kind of doing it. Not all my friends, you guys, like if you're listening, like I'm not, whatever, but like I'm finding out it's way more common and like the, 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 the assumptions, your assumptions were my, exactly. That's what I, you had mentioned that earlier. Um, and it's, it's, I assumed that monogamy was like the norm and I'm learning more and more. It's not. But I'm seeing how much torment it can cause people and how much personal torment it caused me. And they could be locked in those assumptions for the entirety of their life. Yes. Or they, you know, this repression leads to behaviors that are not healthy. Yeah, like you think of the people who are supposed to be married. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't. Some people should. But the idea that you're supposed to be married for the rest of your life, even if you fucking hate each other. Jesus Christ, what are you doing? Like that, that's crazy. And that's yeah. where it comes out in these weird ways because then you're like starting to treat each other poorly and all this other shit. But you, even when you like, you realize that some people are swinging, right? And then you have the expectation of, oh, you know, that's, that's gross or that's icky. And it's like, it's not gross. It, it's not gross and it's not weird. It is, someone would only think that way because of how it was presented to them in their context from like growing up especially and as they're developing their own sexuality yes exactly and if you're solidified in your own sexuality and then you see that i feel bad sometimes cuz you don't you don't feel the confidence to to explore like that's what i thought about like i was monogamous when i growing up cuz i assumed that that is what you're supposed to do anyone who didn't was subversive or unusual and when I would have tendencies that would uh, push against that a little bit, I'd like, oh, shut that down, shut that down. And it would come out in weird fucking ways. Not saying that I had any issues with like going around with different women, but I, I've seen where that can come up. And it's, once again, like you are saying, and not being repressed, but looking at, okay, I have these feelings. I should just follow those feelings because it's not destructive. It's not going to kill anyone. It's not going to make anyone traumatized. Trauma or death, none of that, it's good. That's interesting, yeah. Wait, uh, well, I, I have a thought. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's, um, the funniest example, examples, let's, let's go plural because mm-hmm. this is not uncommon, mm-hmm. um, of sexual repression and the irony of, of our culture is when uh, politicians who are adamantly opposed to the LGBTQ mm-hmm. uh, movement yeah. are caught in doing like homosexual activities. I, the, the governor or former governor, I believe, of Idaho, he was like, no gay marriage. And then it was like a month ago later, he was got caught putting two fingers underneath the stall trying to fuck. And it's like, ooh. And, and, and it's, you, please, Google if you, want, if you need references, if this is making you uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, go do your own research. We've talked about that. You know, mm-hmm. don't just listen to us. But, but, that is, is the people who are making the decisions for your life don't even have a grip on their own. Yeah, and that's going back to what we were talking about prior was that everyone is fallible. Everyone is, has everyone has the potential for flaws and exists with flaws, regardless of who they are. And it could be fucking Hitler, and it could be Gandhi. Like, and then when you tell people that their flaws are wrong... You feel threatened. You feel, yeah, you feel threatened, and so you're going to go inside and repress. 
And, and man, just too many things are wrong these days. It's, it's mm-hmm. our puritanical roots, I guess. But then again, in the as things stand currently, with our access to individuals across a wide spectrum of existence. I'm able to look at um, a poor fucking, a poor like a tweaker looking dude from Seattle um, or like a ritzy ass kid in New York, right? I can look at their social media profiles. It's, you can argue like whether or not I'd ever find those profiles. But if I, for some reason, had a hair up my ass and saw those people, I can see their perspectives, right? So we're getting closer to being exposed to a non-insular um uh, yeah, and because, you know, like, you and I have to communicate, right? Like, I get to listen to your thoughts and ideas because we have, uh, we've became friends. But now people who are very unlike me, I can be exposed to them on Twitter. It's, we have echo chambers right now, but I'm hoping as we go forward, you are forced to be in confronting these different ideas from all different angles. Like, you know, people that you disagree with constantly. Like, I think that's a good thing. Because before, like, if you disagreed with, um, let me, let's say, uh, socialism, right? And you're like, we should be communists. Well, now, I, I mean, I think, you can, you can't talk to anyone in North Korea, but I mean, you can, you, you can talk to, like, people who are in Russia. And you, like, I have a Russian friend, and I met him online. And I don't condone communism whatsoever, but um, I get to understand his experience through there. So it's not left to my imagination. It's not left to my assumption because I'm learning now that I need to talk because what I assume is wrong for the most part and that I need to talk with these people. And so, like, I'm learning that. And I think that's kind of cool how it's disrupting that thing. And, and I think that's what people need or they're craving is, is a platform to... to safely and civilly talk to people of differing opinions. Yeah, and I think a platform... Facebook is not the place to debate people. So now this is where that happens too, though, is that Facebook, their algorithm is set to uh, feed you information that you're going to find pleasant. Like if whatever is like relevant to you, to your interests, it will be at the top of your newsfeed. No, it should be the other way around, right? It should be whatever's not relevant to your interests should be at the top of your newsfeed, constantly challenging your perception of yourself in the world. Like, if you do that, but then again, though, who would go on to that? Because they'd be like, ah, fuck that. I just want to see cool shit all day. You would have to be a person who is personally motivated. Exactly. Opening your mind. Yeah. And uh, that's, I think a lot of a lot of people are, are at that point where they're like, okay, yeah, I do want to open my mind. Because <laughs> what's, 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 what's been going on hasn't been working. Yeah, and if, so what else is out there? Exactly, and as long as people don't have to do a lot of footwork on their end, they're more than likely from like, and I do Uber and Lyft, for example. I talk to customers all the time, and I don't talk to them about the weather. I just jump straight into that shit. I don't care if they're drunk or sober, man. It's like, what are they going to do? Fucking get out of my car? Good, I'll make money off them. And what I find is that people from all different fucking walks of life are genuinely interested in things that they have not heard of before, but what they don't want to do is they don't want to um, do all the footwork. It's like someone who's like, that's a really cool idea, like a shoe that you make. I would buy that shoe, but I would never try to start that business. Does that make sense? So like yeah, in a social media thing, if you made it easily deliverable, I think people would definitely be down. One of your shout So how do we make like dialogue and discourse cool again? Yeah. Um, I, like, I like sitcoms. In some respects, because it, they, they, How I Met Your Mother, Friends, 
uh, all of them, I guess. They they reinforce kind of that familial community mm-hmm. concept to to the friend groups. And I think now it's it's if we can broaden that, make it a little bit wider, and to include strangers, but also to have it be face to face, like going to a bar instead of a trivia night. Maybe have like a, a conversation night. Like yeah, that would be like cool. Some, some basic ground rules, obviously, like no yelling. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be really awesome. I love Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah. He's got Jamie, who's, like, mm-hmm. his, like, guy. And I wish I had my own, like, in life, my own, like, yeah. or pots or something. Where it's like, can you please find me uh, this this article I had read, you know, pull it up for me so I can cite it? Because, yeah. you know, I'm constantly synthesizing information. But it's, like, to remember the the one author of one paper, mm-hmm. that's difficult. Yeah, it is really difficult. But And also navigating the flow of the conversation. So mm-hmm. it's really cool to have that that support and so if there's a group of people and then there's like a team of you can call them like the analysts or whatnot and you could submit requests to them to find your data and then it almost could turn into like a debate oh, where uh, you have to present you know your sources and your your reasoning that'd be really cool if you, or if you had like a a show where it was like you had a topic so that night it was um, mental health, right? Oh and then you had gosh. mental health. So it's mental health night tonight. Um, and then you get like a week's notice, right? Because it's every week or it's twice a month. And you're like, so two weeks out. You're like, okay, it's mental health night tonight. Um, we're going to debate mental health. Uh, you know, pick your topics or pick, you know, whatever things that you have to think to, to bring into the debate and come and debate each individual, like you're saying. And then you have the analysts where you can go to be like, here, this is what my source is. That would be really cool. I think, uh, I've, ma- I've said this before, like, we need to make scientists rock stars. Like, we have Neil deGrasse Tyson, right? Yeah. Like, he is a rock star, <laughs> but now, how do we create competition mm-hmm. for other people? Yeah, and no I Bill Nye's either. No Bill Nye's. I'm sorry, <laughs> but he doesn't, he's not a real scientist. He, uh, yeah. He doesn't have a degree. I love. You're, you're right. And, and so, like, on this, the show, it could be, like, people from that, that industry, the mm-hmm. experts. So it's not like, you know, just another media or mm-hmm. celebrity contest. It's it's let's present real people and real data, real research. That's the only reason why I brought up Bill Nye is because that, that I watched the Netflix stuff and I was like, what? Because he didn't really bring up any, like, hard shit. It was all, like, entertainment and a lot of, uh, not red herrings, but what are those called? Uh, where you try to use, like, uh, illogical fucking arguments to distract people. So like fallacies. There you go. Oh. Yeah, like he used a lot of fallacies and stuff, and I was like, wait, what? But with Neil deGrasse Tyson, I really support him because he even does the tours where maybe I'm naive and I don't know that a lot of scientists do this, but I know that Neil deGrasse Tyson does, and he does the tours like a fucking musician and a comedian, and he goes to the theaters and does his thing. Um, Jordan Peterson, you know who that is? He's uh, uh he's really cool. You gotta look into him, man. And, yeah, he's uh, he does a lot of things with like uh, Nietzsche and stuff. Like, <clears throat> he's a philosopher, I believe. Okay. And he'll go around now to where he'll do live shows of just talks at different like venues and shit all over the world. And I'm like, that's cool. It's a transmission of ideas. This is awesome. I want more stuff like that. You're right. Like, I think. Just having, like, I like what Neil deGrasse Tyson is doing because in a lot of his things, he's he's blending the entertainment with hard facts. And that's what I think is important because you're not using, like, polarizing things. You're taking something that someone would consider, oh, it's kind of boring, and you're spicing it up with fun delivery. And I, yeah. I, think I that, absolutely agree. We need more of that. Yeah, exactly. It has merit to it. That's why I wanted to do one of my... Um, 
project ideas was taking like uh, very heady concepts in books, for example. So like I have uh, Magicians of the Gods, and it's <clears throat> a book about like a geological disaster and all this other shit. A lot of I would talk to people about it, and I'm like, here's a book you want to read, and I'm like I don't have any time to read, and I'm like, hmm. What if I condensed, you know, these books that I thought were really interesting and I, you know, checked all the research, checked them out and I condensed them into like uh, poetry. And then it's the same with stand up. Like if you like something like that and you integrated it into your stand up, you'd be serving two purposes. You'd be sharing an idea that is dense and some people are probably not going to pick up a book. Most people won't. And you're entertaining. So you're grabbing their attention with entertainment and you're informing them. And yeah, I think that has value to it. It really does. It has social value, mm-hmm. but uh, backtracking a bit, kind of talking about capitalism yeah. or cronyism or socialism, you know, uh, quantifying social value in a world driven by monetary value, mm-hmm. that's difficult. I think um, I love capitalism, like Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. She might mm-hmm. be crazy. She <laughs> but that book, I think, is beautiful. Like, not all artists, like, a lot of artists are fucking crazy. And mm-hmm. Words, books, that's art. I'm crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really fucking crazy. Uh, but um, uh, that, oh, we were talking about capitalism. Yeah. Uh, fuck, what was <clears throat> right before that? Mm, capitalism using entertainment to disseminate technology, or er, uh, science and rhetoric. I totally just brain. <laughs> it's okay, I do it all the time. Um, Everyone's familiar with me. Oh, the social versus moral, uh, social versus monetary. Oh, yes. Um, I believe you should profit by providing an exceptional good or service. And isn't that what we were talking about with the tax thing, too? Like, having an adjustment of taxes based on, like, how well your service or product serves a society, but... But when companies, uh, it's a very nuanced flip, but a lot of companies now due to the necessity of needing to survive and exist, they are profit at all costs. So even if they're not necessarily providing the best product, they're profiting. And I think that's what, you know, uh, the narrative has been. Why isn't American made a thing anymore? Because you can't do American made affordably with quality. And that's going even further now. How we, we have to address this issue where paying a livable wage to people is something that we can do. We have the the resources to do it, but there's still this kind of fight, this clench of of I, I like to use the matrix as as an example. You know, we're all just plugged into the matrix providing fuel for the the machines. Innovation, yeah. And and so in that world, how do you quantify and extract the monetary value of something that provides only a social value yeah and it's it's tough it's really tough. it is tough because at currently we have it's disseminated through like poetry is a good example because stand-up stand-up is exceptional like music in its way that it is very profitable if you are successful um i cannot tell you why it's just right now that's what it is a music has pretty much always been like that but um, stand-up has is, is, an explosion. I feel like it's going to continue because of technology, but I really don't know much about that. Um, but poetry is like you have uh, poet laureates. Poet laureate is every state has one, and the country has one. So that's a person that is paid to produce content. 
to produce poetry. It's paid by the state. And then they, yeah, they go around and they have to do like a certain amount of writing workshops um, around the state or around the country. And what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to cultivate the arts. Because here's the thing about poetry. No one makes money off of poetry. No one makes money touring off of poetry because very, very, very few people do it. And Henry Rollins is probably the one who does it best, and he doesn't even do poetry. Have you ever seen his shit? Yeah. yeah, and he'll go up there and he'll just talk and tell a story. It was not even funny. He's not even like, uh, like, just yeah, exactly. And I'm like, wait, what? I didn't know you could do. But that's a that's a little bit sidetracked. But um, with poetry, yeah, ha- has no. You're right. There's no monetary generation, or you can't make money off of it. So people have to do other things. And if they do poetry, it's a love affair. There's a problem there because if you don't, if there is no value there, poetry could die for good. No one could perform it for at least a long time. So the state steps in, or has always stepped in. They always have grant systems and shit like that to, to keep the, the arts alive um, that aren't popular, for instance. That doesn't work very well. Because what you're saying is, is they're providing a social benefit, not a monetary benefit, a social benefit through poetry. Um, and they're not rewarded, you know, with monetary shit. So how do you incentivize that to keep it alive? And the, currently the grant system, I don't, it, it, it works. I mean, I can get right now $4,000 to do a program in Seattle that takes me three months, and I can make pretty good money off of it. But when we're talking about before, like growing up, it's not the same. Like these things aren't, it's not lucrative. So since it's not lucrative, you're going to have a very small pool of people who are getting into it, and it's not going to make a lot of innovation in poetry. So there has to be other ways to incentivize the social growth. But yeah, a little long-winded. But well, no, you're you're absolutely correct. Uh, you know, looking at the data, uh, wages—the average, the median wage over the last 20 years for the average American has not risen. Mm-hmm. Risen by like uh, when adjusted for inflation by a few hundred dollars. Yeah. Meanwhile, the cost of living—nobody would argue that the cost of living right now for housing is just you talk about with um, being made in America, right, and being plugged into the matrix, and then you're bringing up cost of living. So we have these things to where we need a greater demand, of, uh, or we have a greater demand of money that the average person needs to make. Um, and we also need to pay people more, right? The things that we buy to support us in our daily lives, from smartphones, it's now almost become an essential thing. Uh, an automobile is almost an essential thing, unless you're in Seattle. But not everyone lives in a city. Some people live in flyby states. Most do. No, some. And so what do you do? Because if you you could lower those things to make them cheaper, to make them more accessible to people, or you can raise the rate and you can, or yeah, lower those things to make them more accessible to people, lower the, how, the, lower the price of things, of all things, even living and everything, to make it more accessible and to reduce the cost of living. Well, you're going to have an issue meeting the demand, the financial demand of your employers, right? I don't, I don't know to what degree or if that's even really an issue, but it could be, right? You're having this thing to where you're trying to give people more money, yet have things cost them less. And then what our solution right now is, is we have slaves. We, we, and this is, this is dramatizing it a lot. But we have slaves in other countries who are working for, at standards that we wouldn't work. To be able to make this work, because if it didn't work, cell phones would be over a thousand dollars, and that's not them making a lot of profit. That's 
way over, like way more money. The iPhones. I wouldn't. Google's made like cheap phones that aren't, you know, priced out that much. It'd just be hard to get the things to the price that we do now. They'd go up. So how we have to? I feel like we're having to remove this human element because, like, same with the truck driver, for instance. Well, we could have goods a lot cheaper if we remove truck drivers and we automated truck driving. People would lose, you know, the jobs, but I, it, but I feel like that would be. Who wants to be a fucking truck driver? If you want to drive, go race cars. I and and that's the question I think we should be asking is how much of the mundane portions of our existence can we uh, just make robots do? Mm-hmm. Um, how much can we automize via technology? And then when there just isn't a need for labor, mm-hmm. how what? Because that's the problem, is that's the need. The need for labor is creates inefficient business models. And it also creates a um, class system. Because, yeah, you have to have, you fundamentally have to have a class system when you need people to have labor and when you need people to create ideas. The hierarchy is ideas overcome labor. Because you need 10 people to do the labor. For every one idea, and you need one person to create the idea. One person creates the idea, ten people manifest the idea. And those ten people are not going to make collectively way more than the person who makes the idea. So there's that inequality almost every time. And, and that's why I think we're not investing in, in solar mm-hmm. energy right now, uh, because there's there's no immediate profit from it. Yeah, and... The, you're right. This is an exchange of social profit, and yeah. And we're not allowing an economic concept called creative destructionism. What's that? Uh, where one industry essentially dies to be replaced by a newer, more efficient industry. Oh, that's dope. Exemplary Gracie, uh, oil and solar power. Yeah. We have in the capability to power the planet with solar power. Mm-hmm. The infrastructure investment would be huge, and the payoff would take a long time. Or mm-hmm. rather, it wouldn't necessarily be profitable. And so it's kind of like, it, 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 it's like roads. Oh, you know, why don't yeah. you if you don't have to? Dude, that's, and that's like what you and I were talking about. I'm sidetracking you. But from working in these industrial industries, you working at Boeing, you saw their inefficiencies in technology, but they would not immediately advance. I saw that as well in the minting and um, gold or the minting industry. They would not immediately advance because the initial cost is huge, and the payoff is over a long period of time. That's interesting. Non sidetracked. Well, that's that's human nature though. Is is do I want something now or do I want to wait for something? Now, now, now. <laughs> and especially that's the bittersweet side of technology is that it, it does enable us, but it also further kind of reinforces the now mentality. And it, it, it's interesting. Like, I, I think about Rome, the fall of Rome, and they knew, you know, that the lead was poisonous for them. And over time, they suggest that contributed to the downfall. We're looking at oil, and we know that that's not healthy for our environment. Mm-hmm. And yet we're we're continuing to just pump it into the atmosphere. It's 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 fascinating to me that we have historical evidence of of such closed mindedness destroying a civilization, and we're still not acting on it. And that goes 
to our, um, once again, looking at the individual. Yep, I got five more minutes. And looking at the individual, right, and saying that we're not, like, some, there's good and there's bad. There's no good and there's bad. Hitler and fucking Martin Luther King, they are just as fallible. They have the potential to be just as good or bad. Obviously, they ended up much different. Um, but it's this realization that you and me are no better than anybody who's ever came before or who will come in the future. And we need to be antici- we need to anticipate that and creating these systems to anticipate that. And I think we're realizing, I don't think we're just realizing it because there's this thing called stoicism from back then, and they knew that. They were aware of that. But I think we are, as a culture, just as back then, we are coming to light with these things again. And realizing, like, even more, because even people like, um, you know, like Thomas Edison and stuff, they they knew our tendencies. And it, it goes back to repression, too, because tendencies, we, we have these tendencies. And we know that we each, all of us have tendencies, and they're slightly different sometimes than other people's, right? And it's the talking about them and figuring out how do we together solve this issue for the fucking children in the womb of time. And like and that's like... And, and the consequence of that is not like... If we didn't do that, right? It's not that your life's going to suck. It's just that this train of humanity is going to fucking derail. And we're going to be right back where we're at again. It's and interesting. And then it comes down to morality and, and personal integrity. Mm-hmm. You know this. And you know that you're only going to be here for a finite amount of time. Mm-hmm. So what responsibility is it of yours to think about the future people and them? Yeah, exactly, right? yeah. And that's where the greed comes in, and that's where it's like that balance of, you know, I'm I'm, I'm not going to lie, I don't, I'm not, I don't recycle. Like, I yeah. do recycle, but I don't, I'm not anal about no, it. No, I'm not I either. accidentally throw a can away. It's not on the forefront and, of my mind. And so that's, that's an example of, of me, you know, finding balance in that I do, I do recycle, uh, but I'm not living entirely for future generations. Mm-hmm. And so what, how much should we live for future generations? Mm, yeah. And I think we should en masse, all of us, begin having this conversation. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's happening. People are having it. Yeah, people are. Technology is the variable that, that, that makes it different, this, mm-hmm. this go-around. It really does, because now you can see anyone that you idolize before, unless you met them, or unless you read a book by them, you would have assumptions about them. And you would create an idea, or identify yourself, based around these assumptions. Not just one... Um, figure that you that you idolize but all the figures in like president trump not political but he's the president oh president must be like the most respectful guy in the world taking away technology and twitter doesn't exist most respectful guy in the world he must manage his time so well um you know all these like imagine these things that you imagine that a president must be because it has all this packaging in it and you have no idea of the context or even like an actor like jim carrey fucking hilarious um and you just look and you're like god that guy is just he's awesome i want to be like that i'm imagining what he must be like and that is how i build my life is based on all this assumption and now you're right technology is the variable because 
it's not just books anymore because books was a big thing. When you could um, distribute information that did not change like the telephone game to a wide audience, to download thoughts and ideas, but now with technology, your assumptions can get holes poked in them every time. Because then I learned that, like, Tim Ferriss, for example, which he does, he's an author and he uh, has his own podcast. Like, I didn't realize that he contemplated suicide. I, I didn't realize that, like, he he's experienced similar things to what I have. I, didn't, I also didn't realize that, um, like, some stand-up comedians that I looked up to, that they had severe anxiety when they went up on stage. Because I could tell you the truth right now, that if I wasn't exposed to that, this was my first idea when I was doing poetry. I'm getting anxious. Maybe I was never meant to do this. And you know what I've learned now? There's no such thing as never meant to do anything. There's just how hard do you want to work? And are you going to show up? So, yeah. Yeah. anything else you want to add? Um, oh, shit, no, you have <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you very much, Andrew. And is there anywhere that anyone can catch you or you got anything? Uh, I'm still uh, doing the heavyweights life field thing. <laughs> uh, just trying to, I think, in this, this culture, um, uh, especially in light of recent events with all the sexual assault allegations uh, Almost. now more than ever we need men to be able to talk because I think there's a lot of just I'm going to call it innocuous confusion mm-hmm. I think a lot of my friends have, have, have displayed to me uh, almost the fear they're like you know I don't know how to behave anymore mm-hmm. and, and they don't want to be labeled as wrong they, they want to just understand what's going on and so I think uh, I'm still working on a way to to open that sort of dialogue. And so if you you want to talk, you're a dude, and you don't know who to reach out to, just heavyweights like field, um, anything and everything, hit me up. Uh, the world is not as crazy as it seems, even though sometimes it can be easy to feel that way. And uh, that's all I got. Sweet. Thanks so much, Andrew. I appreciate it, man. All right. Oh, damn. That was fun. Did you like it? A little bit? A lot? I liked it. I met Andrew through podcasting. And it's cool how this shit can bring me together to people who I would have never ran into otherwise. Cool guy. Check his shit out. Show notes. You'll find all of his links. Email. Or, whoops, not his email. Yeah, street address. Um, Social media. And website information. I'm going to play you out with a song by Christoph Crane called There Comes a Time. And I hope you guys enjoy it. No, I know you guys will enjoy it. It's a really good song. If you like to support him, check out his music. You'll find his information in the show notes. Man, it's a lot of fun. I'm trying to ramp it up with podcasting and... Got a lot of cool guests in store for you guys. But thank you guys for listening. Um, really means a lot, I suppose. Fuck it, it means a lot. <laughs> if you guys have any suggestions, feel free to send me an email or DM me on social media. You can find my email on my website. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye.
songs and making friends and try my hardest to be the best person I possibly can. You show me how to look into myself and see the problem and reminding me no matter who you are that we've all got them. Now I think of you each time I stop to talk to someone I don't know. I can't get rid of you. I can't let go of something I can't hold. I miss having the option to call you when I'm feeling down. You always found a way to listen till you felt me through the phone. Now I walk around acting like I've learned to deal with it when I just want to sit with it so I can feel how real it is. I don't want to let you down. I hope I'm making you proud. You taught me how to be myself, but right now I just don't know how. Can't seem to figure out exactly what I'm supposed to do. Sometimes I cry until I can't. Sometimes I laugh until I'm blue. It's like you live so you learn what it feels like to be dead. And then you die so you can finally feel alive again. You will always be my friend forever, ever be my friend. This is just a new beginning. Time will see us through again. Till the end, till it ends. You will always be my friend. This is just a new beginning. Time will see us through again. You will always be my friend forever, ever be my friend. This is just a new beginning. Time will see us through again. Till the end, till it ends. You will always be my friend. This is just a new beginning. Time will see us through again. I find myself between feeling bad for what I lost and feeling grateful for the privilege of knowing you for so long. Kill the king, you told me I asked you what it meant. You said it means to feel with all your heart and out of your head. So now I try to have and figured out how to accept that I won't ever get to see you again until I'm dead. Remember on the plane flying home from out west, how we made a friendly bet of who could sell my CDs to our fans? You loved that game, and so did I. Even though I always knew that you would win every night without trying. Now I'm faced with that meat I can't bite through. I ask myself the question, I wonder what would Mike do, but I know what you would do. You take your time and think it through, and if it didn't come to you, you'd walk away and keep your cool. And even though the memories are blowing in the wind, just know no matter what, you'll always have me as a friend. You will always be my friend, forever, ever be my friend. This is just a new beginning, time will see us through again. Till the end, till it ends, you will always be my friend. This is just a new beginning, time will see us through again. You will always be my friend, forever, ever be my friend. This is just a new beginning, time will see us through again. Till the end, till it ends, you will always be my friend. This 